0: Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Layton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive mini-sodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. I remember not living here in just every single podcast. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, the parking lot of the Whole Foods 365 on Glendale <laughs> Boulevard is a real nightmare. And it's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And now it's me just constantly bitching about the parking lot on the, of the 365
1: on Glendale Boulevard. But did you want to know? <laughs> it's the, it's really, I, I didn't want to know. No. There's a character, I think it's Horatio Sands does on Comedy Bang Bang, who every so often, where 90% of it is directions in LA. So he'll be like, all right, well, you got to go down Gower until you get to Santa Monica, make sure you turn left on Santa Monica, you know, stay in the right lane so you can go on Cahuenga, you know, whatever. Like it's, it's these very, very detailed Los Angeles driving instructions, which before I moved here, I was like, uh, whatever. This isn't funny. Yeah. And now I'm like, this is the best. I totally <laughs> get it.
2: So have you guys seen the sketch on SNL, uh, the Californians? California. Yes.
1: Yeah. I feel like
0: that one's more funny just because of nobody can keep their shit together. Like in terms of maybe the most people breaking simultaneously in a sketch and consistently. Like. Yep. Really brings me
1: joy. I don't feel like you have a California accent, Bruce. You you don't sound Californian to me.
2: That's good. I can turn that on and off. I'll say like a lot. Sometimes I just happen to say like, uh, and again, I was born in the Valley in the San Fernando Valley, which is the, the home of the Valley girl accent. Like, Oh my (laughs) gosh. I knew so many people that grew up with that accent and I didn't know it was a thing until I left.
1: (laughs) Right. Same thing for me with Jersey. Like, you know, I haven't (laughs) lived in Jersey since I was 18, but if I watch old home movies, And stuff. I'm like, oh my God, my parents have such thick accents. It's crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But of course, you never know it.
0: Yeah. Until you have the point of reference. I'm from North Carolina and my mom is from Jersey and very Jersey. My dad isn't super Southern, but his side of the family is very Southern. And so it combined to make me sound like I'm from California, apparently.
2: You do? Yes.
0: (sighs) Yeah. That's what everybody says. It doesn't feel like a compliment.
2: (laughs) You are absolutely right. It does not feel like a compliment when somebody's like, oh, yeah, like I could tell uh, that you were from, you know, Los Angeles, or whatever. And I was like, is that a good thing?
0: Yeah. Like when I took a public speaking class in college, like, you know, I'll say I, I do it professionally. Sometimes I'm good at public speaking, but like the professor would.
1: Yes. you're Very good at it.
0: Thank you. Would literally take points off of every single thing. Just like writing down like minus 10 vocal fry. It's like. <laughs> what? I, <laughs> I'm so, I sound that's what I sound like that's just your
1: voice yeah I'm
0: sorry. do you want me to do like a monotone I can do a monotone we can just do
1: I, oh that's unfair. was he harsher towards women than men?
0: <sighs> yes
1: wow oh, there you go yeah
0: I mean it was also shit with like scoring based on outfit appropriateness what
2: oh yeah yeah can't even imagine what that was like to be a woman that way. I was the same. I grew up and like went to like basically tiny little Christian private schools up until I was like 14. Hmm. Interesting. We were all graded on that stuff. So if like our shirt was a little cockeyed or like our pants weren't, you know, tucked in correctly or however that was, then they would take points off of our public speaking. Wow. Like I said, I can't even imagine what it was like to be a woman. <laughs> I have no idea because I thought it was hard to be, you know, a 13 year old boy. I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Public speaking class is always a wild card. I mean, as with any class where it's like an acting class or public speaking or anything where you have to like prepare a thing that you were saying in front of people, it's literally always the just teeth pulling awfulness of people who are like clearly not prepared to do it. Right. And so it's just a person like stumbling through a monologue or like just does not know the lines, does not know the paper. And it's just like, I'm going to die. I have to sit through 10 more minutes of this. And then it's 20 (laughs) people afterwards. I can't, I can't do this.
1: Yeah. I remember it was one semester in high school, it was public speaking, and I went to a small private non-religious day school. And I remember the thing I chose to speak about was I demonstrated the diffraction pattern of a laser and derived where the uh, various maxima, you know, if you if you shine a laser through a diffraction grate, you get a bunch of dots. This
2: is going to put me to sleep right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to point out that this is one of the few latent nights we're actually recording at night. And so I'm drinking just
1: up top. Oh, that's awesome. It is awesome. Well, wait, wait, where's my drink? I'm just going to White Claw or something. Yeah, the ultimate uh, chill guy drink, a White Claw. (laughs) (laughs) I turned on some mood lighting in my garage. It feels very nice. Uh, And yeah, I I like it at night.
0: So are you sitting in, in just pitch black darkness?
1: Yes, except for one light. I am drinking a decaf Earl Grey tea, but I double bagged it. So get ready.
2: Wow. Oh. Yeah. Isn't there caffeine still in the decaf? I'm sure there's some
1: amount. I mean, they can't take it totally out. You're going to be up all night, Brian. You're going to be up all yes. night. <laughs> all night.
0: Yeah, Talking about lasers or whatever the fuck you just said.
1: It's a diffraction pattern of a lake. Come on. Before my public speaking project, I demonstrated a physics thing. And I was like, huh? And everyone was just like, what? I don't care. I mean, yeah. you sound
2: way, way smarter than me. Um, <laughs> but also... I would have been asleep in
1: the audience. Yeah. Well, the cool part, and honestly, the, the the best part of it was I went to the physics teacher and I was like, can I have this laser? And he was like, yeah, okay. Oh, cool. And he just gave <laughs> wow. a 16-year-old a fucking laser. All right. Which, All right. you know, I was not going to be going around robbing banks with it or whatever. I was a pretty chill kid. And by chill, I mean very, very nerdy. <laughs> so I think he trusted me to not do anything untoward, but... Still, it's like a, you know, lab-grade laser for experiments and stuff.
0: Brian, gun to your head, you actually have to rob a bank with a laser. What do you do?
1: Uh, I think I use it as a bludgeon (laughs) and (laughs) just take a bunch of people out. I've always wanted to
2: use a laser to do something cool, but I don't think that there really are any applications to use a laser that you can buy. Because there was one time I bought a laser. Uh, I used to work on a television network called G4. Yeah. And um, it was uh, it was kind of a nerdy television show, so we got to do nerdy stuff. And I bought a laser that the thing that it could do was get so hot that it could pop balloons. Well, that's cool. <laughs> and this made me so excited because I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is finally a laser that could do something cool, right? And I got the whole stunt set up. I had it all ready to go for live television. And uh, right before, I think right before it aired, I was telling the host, "Like, all you do point the laser at the balloon and it'll pop. And, and we pointed the laser to bloom. And we, and we held it there for, a, I want to say, 45 seconds, a minute. And nothing happened.
1: <laughs> and
2: I had spent like $300 on this laser. And I was like, oh, fucking. Like, I was like, the one fucking time I wanted So ever since then, I have been looking for a laser to do something cool. And I just haven't, I haven't found one yet.
1: This is something that uh, I feel like not a lot of people know about light. Did you know that light exerts pressure on things? No. Yeah, no, I didn't know. Yeah. So, photons have energy and momentum, and then, thus, they can exert a pressure on things. So, you can actually take a powerful enough laser and, like, push stuff around with it. Small stuff. But there's a device that some people use in labs called optical tweezers, where you're using targeted laser beams to push very tiny things around by using pressure differentials uh, with the lasers. I totally get because I was a scientist, like why this is true. But the fact that you can push shit around with light. There was a picture in my like freshman physics book of a laser holding up like a little tiny glass bead or something. Still blows my mind that that's a thing. That's really cool.
2: Yeah. I was just, what would you push around with a laser? What would you do?
1: The person I know who used it <laughs> was uh, a biophysicist who worked on mouse brains and would, like, (laughs) implant shit in mouse brains, like real live mice. They would crack open their skulls Mm -hmm. and put electrodes and stuff in their brains and, I think, use the optical tweezers to move stuff around in there. Wow. Yeah, pretty rad, right?
0: So you could just have a little army of rats at your beck and call with your laser?
1: Yes. I never actually saw the lab set up, But as I understood it, they would put little electrodes in the mouse brains and try to trigger different parts of the brain to influence the behavior of the mouse.
0: That's a nightmare.
1: It was like Ant-Man, but it was Mouse-Man. You could control a bunch of mice. Yes, that's exactly right. That's really neat. Okay, the cooler guy I knew in uh, in grad school. Oh, c- cooler than Mouse-Man? Cooler
0: Man? than Rat-Man.
1: Well, <laughs> well, get ready. Got to take a sip of my tea first. Hold on.
0: <laughs> that's the most badass oh. sentence you could possibly say.
1: Oh, that is a perfectly brewed Earl Grey tea. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Uh, So I knew a guy who was in a, like a neurology lab or a neural net lab. And a lot of those guys work on lobsters because lobsters have very big neurons. And I think this is a pretty common experiment. They would take basically a lobster, cut it open and create an artificial neuron and like root the lobster's uh, nerve signals through their little Artificial neuron, which was like a circuit board or something. I don't know what the fuck it was. And then they would do experiments that way. And at the end of the day, they would eat the lobsters.
0: Wow. (laughs) Cyber lobster.
1: (laughs) Yep. Wait, so
2: everything that the lobster would feel would go through the circuit board?
1: I don't know about everything, but certain neural pathways, like it would come down one nerve, and then rather than go through the neuron in the lobster it would go through some kind of circuit or whatever that they set up outside the lobster and then back in. Wow. That way they could do experiments on it.
0: That's fucked up. If the lobsters gain (laughs) sentience because we started doing that and they come after us, we deserve it.
2: Yeah. From what I hear, lobsters are like ancient beings that can live a very, very long time, right?
1: I think they're pretty old. Yeah, I forget exactly how old. But the fact that they have like macroscopically large neurons was always interesting to me. Huh. Yeah. I hope I'm not misremembering that. Now I've got to look this up.
0: And instead we we put rubber bands on their claws and they race across the floor and then we boil them alive (laughs) and use them as a vessel to consume melted butter.
2: I always thought that boiling a lobster alive was horrible. Mm -hmm. That's just a terrible thing that we could do. But I had heard that that was apparently the more humane way to kill a lobster. Is that true? That can't be right.
1: I heard you were supposed to take a knife and like stab it through the brain. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, that makes more sense.
2: It's a fucking zombie. No, yeah, yeah that, that makes more sense because then you just kill it outright and then put it in the pot. All
1: right. So I'm reading this right now. Uh, apparently, crabs and lobsters have only about a hundred thousand neurons, compared with a hundred billion in most, like, mammals. Oh wow! Which is very interesting. So it doesn't say about the size.
0: Dude, I wish I had fewer neurons. I'd take like five. I don't need the rest of them. I'd love to think less.
1: Yeah, I'd love to
2: feel less. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great?
0: Yeah, I want the opposite of the Daft Punk song, Better, Harder, Faster, Stronger. Just (laughs) (laughs) dumber, dumber,
1: dumber, dumber. Uh, Worse, softer, slower. slower, Duller, slower. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So you had a lobster man and a rat man as friends. Yeah.
1: What were you? What man were you? Uh, I was math man, baby. Oh, man. Yeah, I did particle physics, but I was a theorist, not an experimentalist. So I would just do weird math all the time. I had the moral high ground, but (laughs) not any cool equipment. My cool equipment was a fucking whiteboard. So when I first started working on on that, it was just like my third year of grad school. I went to UCSD. So most of the buildings at UCSD, because it's Southern California, are... Outdoor hallways, you know what I mean? Like, you can get into most of the rooms from the outside. Yeah. But there were certain rooms that were in the inside of the building and had no windows. And they stashed me in what was a, a computer graveyard. Hell, yeah. Which had computers from the mid to late 70s. These old, like, VAX virtual terminals, you know, mm-hmm. uh, black screen, gray type, type things. And I was stashed in a windowless room with a very, very depressed graduate student and a giant pile of computers from 1978. And that was my vibe. Wow. Go
0: ahead and pitch that to
1: HBO. That's like a halt and catch fire, but boring. Dude. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen that, but I've been meaning to. Is it
2: awesome? When you emailed me and you said, hey, like have something pop culture ready. I had a couple other things primed, but honestly, go back and watch halt and catch fire. Cool. Hulk Fire is some of the best television you've,
1: you've probably ever seen. I've heard people say it's incredible, yeah.
2: It really is, and, and it kind of has no right to be as good as it is, but it's just so, so good. And also, I have a huge crush on Lee Pace. Dude. Oh, he rules, yeah. yes. Lee Pace is like the coolest fucking dude in the world, and he's the lead throughout that show.
1: Can I say, my first Lee Pace experience was Pushing Daisies. Have you seen Pushing Daisies?
2: Yes, of I course.
1: Not. The best. Oh, my God. So, it was probably on in the late 2000s, 2007 2008. So the idea is Lee Pace is the main character. I can't remember his name, but I can't remember how or why he gets this. He has a power that he can reanimate dead things no matter what it is. So dead fruit, he touches and it comes back to life. Dead animals, dead people, same thing. He touches them once and they come back to life. However, if he touches it twice, it dies. Right, and so one of the driving engines of this show is the woman he loves dies, and he brings her back to life, but he can never touch her again.
0: See, that's some like fan fiction level trope that I'm I'm into.
1: It's a great concept, yeah, and it had a really great performance also by Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah, oh wow, who I just love, and she was great. So he's a baker in the show; he makes pies, I believe. Yeah, it's kind of like a magical realism sort of vibe. I think, was it like a Barry Sonnenfeld thing or something like that? I knew that, or was it Brian Fuller? Oh, yes, it was, I think it was Brian Fuller, yeah.
2: Was it Brian Fuller? I was trying to remember the name of the creator because it's a very specific creator that made that show. I think you're right. It is, okay. Because Fuller's gone on to make a bunch of other really interesting things.
0: Yeah, God bless Brian Fuller.
2: Yeah, but Pushing Daisies is great. And also, you would know Lee Pace from, and everybody knows him from this, uh, Gardens of the Galaxy. He is the bad guy, he's Ronan.
1: Yep, which blew my mind. After the movie, I was like, "That was fucking Lee Pace, yeah, pushing Daisy's guy."
2: And that's what I said because when I walked out of the movie, I was like, "Why did I like Ronan so much?" And I looked up, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's Lee Pace." Anyway, he's the lead in Halt and Catch Fire*, and he's just awesome. He's like a Broadway dude too, I think, right? I believe so. Yeah, I thought he was like a classically trained singer and all those.
0: He's a handsome bastard for sure. Yeah, man, he's such a handsome bastard.
1: Wow, and he's aging well too. Fuck
0: yeah, I'm literally looking at pictures. I'm upset.
1: His middle name is Grinner. That's oh, very I was, interesting. I didn't know that. That's
0: fun. Wow. Did you guys watch uh, NBC Hannibal?
2: I watched the first season. It was a long time ago. Loved it.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I have not. It is the perfect amount of popcorn TV. Like, it's yeah. gory. It's extremely fucky. It's ridiculous. Wait,
1: wait, What? what does fucky mean? Like, sex? Sexy? Or, like, fucked up?
0: It's, like, the fuckiest murder show.
1: I still don't understand what you mean by fucky.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure what you don't understand about it being a fucking murder show. <laughs> it's Brian Fuller. It's like Hannibal and Will are totally, absolutely in love with each other. Uh-huh. And there's murder.
1: I'm still not getting what fucky means in this context. Like, it's it's very horny? Is that what it's you mean?
0: It's very horny is what ah, I'm saying.
1: Okay.
0: It's very horny. The food is beautiful. Everything's very lush. Jillian Anderson's in it, and she's just like a beautiful
1: older therapist. Like, whoo! Oh, she's the best.
0: Yeah, just like everyone's great. Hugh Dancy, fucking uh, Mads Mickelson is amazing. Like, great mm-hmm. Hannibal. You know what? Speaking of Hannibal, I'm just ping ponging around. Who cares? It's a Tuesday night. Um, <laughs> you guys have seen Michael Mann's Manhunter, right?
1: Of course. You know what? I have not. It's very good. It's the first Hannibal Lecter movie with Brian Cox as Hannibal.
0: Yeah, and I bring it up because like every once in a while, I go back and watch all his scenes from that movie because he's a really fucking good Hannibal. It's like a very different... Yeah thing. Brian, were you and I talking about this on the show where like Anthony Hopkins is more explicitly creepy, but like Brian Cox's is more like just refined gentleman who does fucked up shit?
1: I feel like we've talked about this. I don't remember that take, but yes, that's completely true. Might have
0: been Jory. Yeah. But like there's the scene where he like, you know, gets the phone and then he's like chewing the stick of gum and like rewiring the phone to get outside of the prison and like scamming somebody to get Will's address. Like it's chef's kiss. So good.
1: Mm -hmm. This feels like a good time to introduce ourselves now.
0: Wow, did we actually decide to start doing that instead of just going the entire episode without introducing literally anybody?
1: Yeah, we had two episodes in a row where we forgot to introduce anybody. <laughs> ah, whatever.
0: Professionals.
1: Uh. Anyway, this is Layton.
0: Hold on. Welcome to Leighton Night, a podcast. Yeah. That's Brian.
1: No, no. You have to say the full <laughs> name of the podcast. <laughs> the podcast is not called Leighton Night. It has a full name, which I insist that you say.
0: Welcome to the podcast,
1: Late Night with Brian. Wait, hold on. So is the full name Late Night with Brian? or No, she's still not saying it, it.
2: The podcast Late Night
1: with Brian. Layton, when I say go, I want you to say the full correct name of the podcast. Okay, yeah. Go. Wecht. Perfect. <laughs> Wait, it, that's all it's called? Wecht? I can't believe you're making me say this. It's called Late Night with Brian Wecht. And my name is Brian Wecht. This is Layton Gray.
0: Hi, that's me. Mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself?
2: My name is Bruce Green. I have been making content on the internet and on television for about 15 years now. And it's probably something pop culture-y or video gamey or, you know, something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Hot damn. Where might people know you from? Just to give a couple examples. They might be- know me from um, a, th-
2: a brand called Inside Gaming that was on Machinima. They might know me from Rooster Teeth, from brand called Funhouse there. Uh, like I said before, I worked at a television network as a producer at G4 on a show called Attack of the Show, which was yeah. a show nobody watched, but we worked very, very hard on it.
1: But I feel like <laughs> so, I hear people talk about it a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: like the cultural impact.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, Layton, do you know what Attack of the Show is? No. There we go. Okay, so that's good. I'm glad that you were honest because nobody knew the show when we were working on it. So... We were working on it because, Brian, you're right. People have come up to me and been like, oh, my gosh, I loved Attack of the Show, blah, blah, blah. I wish it would come back, et cetera, et cetera. And we would look at the ratings once a week for Attack of the Show. <laughs> and uh-huh. no joke, we, no, we would see, it would be like 30, 40,000 people watching it, which is terrible yes. on a televised network, by the way. That's horrible. All of us were just like, what the fuck? Why are we, like, because we worked so hard on that show. We're all very, very proud of the show we made, but nobody watched it. And so when I hear people now being like, um, you know, reminiscing for attack on the show. It's like, you didn't watch it. <laughs> it's like, Why would you reminisce for the show? You didn't,
1: you didn't watch. Why weren't you supporting it?
2: So it's funny to hear that now, which is great. I think it's great that people remember it fondly.
1: Brian, did you watch the show? I definitely saw at least one episode, but I did not watch it regularly. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, we made, we, we this was a daily hour long live show, Monday through Friday, the whole year.
1: When was it on? Like what years? Oh, it was
2: on the years of 2000 and... Five to 2012,
1: I believe it was. Yeah, okay. I feel like I didn't get G4 or something. Is that even possible? Again, I don't want you guys to apologize. No, no, I'm not. Believe me. <laughs> I wasn't planning on
0: apologizing.
1: <laughs> okay, good. All right, good. <laughs> I'm trying to understand if I could have physically watched it had I chose to. You know, the answer was probably no. Yeah, because I remember hearing about G4 right around that period and being like, oh, dude, that sounds great. And then my cable provider in Jersey or wherever, I guess, Massachusetts, et cetera, didn't have
2: it. Yeah. That was a major problem. I was enamored with the idea of what it was because it was just television about video games. It was pop culture television before that really existed. Yeah. And it was a channel. That's all it did. So the first thing I did when I moved to Los Angeles was apply to U 4 I was like, oh, I can't wait. I got my degree in computer science. So I was like, well... I can either program computers or work in entertainment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The two natural choices for a comp sci major. Yes. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up working in entertainment. So that was the reason I ended up working at G four and loved it. And so when I left, I was like, "Well, no one will ever talk about that ever again." (laughs) And now people are always like, "I remember that show." And oh man, what happened to that? It's like what?
1: I guess it turns out when you do a daily show for many years, it kind of aggregates, right? Yeah. And yeah, like yeah. enough people will have seen it or seen clips from it at some point along there. And so you guys also would have been there in the early days of YouTube, right? Very uh, early. Yeah. Just when it was starting out. Yeah. So probably I would imagine some things were clipped and put on That's in, right. you know, 2008-ish when YouTube was really kind of getting rolling.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. And also the higher ups then at G4, wise as they were, did not want to post anything from our television show on YouTube. Oh. <laughs> Come on. Because they refused because they weren't going to make any money off of it, et cetera, et cetera. And all of us were begging them to, you know, move into the fucking year 2000 and they wouldn't do it. So, <laughs> yeah, here we are.
1: <laughs> and now, of course, whatever, you know, 10 ish years later, shows are written entirely to be clipped and then placed yep. online. Yes, sir. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> so, wild.
2: So, anyways, that's what I did. And that's what I do is uh, currently I create uh, content on Twitch right now. So, oh, nice. Just today, I streamed the new Destiny expansion, because that just came out. Hmm. And then this week is probably one of the biggest weeks for video games in the last seven years. New consoles.
1: So do you have any of them coming? Or do you have any of them already?
2: I actually have the Series X here. Nice. It's awesome. It's terrific. And then the PlayStation 5 we pre-ordered. And ideally, that will be here on Thursday when it comes out, the 12th. So... Yeah, I mean, like it's my job, so I've been trying to make sure that I get them on time, and you know, like do the whole be able to stream it the day it, it comes out, of mm-hmm. course, right. But also, I'm I feel very I feel very lucky that it is my job that I get to do that.
1: Yeah, so that's what I'm streaming is the new console stuff. Oh, that's awesome! That's lovely. It's such a great week to have a nice gaming thing, given all the craziness that's happening. Yeah,
0: one might even say it's a great time to be a gamer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the the word gamer is. One of the worst words I have have ever heard. And I don't want to ever hear it again.
0: It's one of those things that I started doing, ironically, of calling everyone gamer. Absolutely. And like, that's how I know, you know, a good friend lives in my neighborhood. And if somebody just like screams my name on the street, I'm like going to be upset. But like, now we just yell gamer and like instantly know. It's a great gender neutral, like collective term. Like, (laughs) you know, you see a group of people. It's like, okay, look at those gamers. Like, especially if it's a bunch of like old women.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know what I realized was a gender-neutral term the other day? Your majesty. I like that. Yeah, you're right.
0: Work that one in when you go to the dentist. Like,
1: it, It's the ultimate like cool guy move to look at someone and call them your majesty in a public place because you, you sound like nothing but a consummate asshole. I was going to say, you only sound sarcastic when you say that. Absolutely. Because
2: somebody's like, hey, can you write your name on the list? Your majesty. Your majesty. Yeah.
0: I'm imagining that little curtsy where you put the foot behind you and you're like <laughs> oh, yeah. tapping your cap. Right. <laughs> yeah, this seems really insulting. That seems like a great way to get punched in the face.
1: I was thinking about this too. Another one that I don't think anyone can say and not seem like a, a complete uh, jerk is Frendo. Thanks, Frendo.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's
1: only from No Country for Old Men, right? Yes, and <laughs> also in the first season of the Fargo TV show, Steven Root uses it as, I think, a slight homage because you know it like liberally samples from all these Coen Brothers movies, and that's definitely from that.
0: Wow, Coen Brothers Tasting Flight—it's
1: the best. Have you been watching season four? Either of you?
2: I I have. I'm like four or five episodes in. Leighton, what about you? Have you are you caught up?
0: I watched like the first four episodes like years and years and years ago, but I have a friend who's super into it, and now I'm gonna get peer pressured into watching it, which I'm fine with because everybody says it's great.
1: Season four, I only only have watched the first episode so far, and it was real slow, like real, real slow. It doesn't speed up. <laughs> <laughs> is it noticeably worse than the other uh. seasons? Because I love those first three seasons. I think they're all great. I do love the other seasons as
2: well. Yeah, that's what this is, in my opinion, the worst season. It's not bad television. Yeah, yeah, it's not like great television. It's like the other seasons are fantastic television. And this is sort of, eh, it's it's cool. It's cool. Noah Hawley, the, the creator. Yes. He's fantastic. And he brings a lot of style to what he does. But I've noticed he's been getting a little more masturbatory mm-hmm. with his stuff. He also did Legion. I don't know if you guys watched Legion.
1: I watched the first season and really liked it.
2: Yeah, me too.
1: Actually, not unlike Fargo season four, I had to stop watching it with my wife because she was so angry at its pacing yeah. and how <laughs> slow and weird it was. It is. And, and, you know, Rachel is far from a dumb person, but she does not like slow, confusing things. And that's my wheelhouse. That's
0: that's glowing praise for your wife.
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> so Legion, you know, at least I haven't seen the, the last two seasons, but that first season is, there's a lot of like, throw you in the deep end and hope you can catch up, which I thought was great, but was intensely frustrating to her. And in fact, uh, we started to watch Fargo season four together and about five minutes into episode two, I was just like, look, we do not have to watch this together (laughs) because I can tell you hate this. And so she opted out of that. Let me tell you, Legion, the first season, is pretty great.
2: Yes. The second season, not too bad. The third season, holy, holy shit. Like (laughs) Terrible? It's not terrible. It's exactly what you just described. It's slow and confusing. And I like Noah Hawley. Yes. So like, I I was just like, this is too much. It's the same with Fargo season four. So I was just like, I brought like my fiance, Autumn. I was like, all right, we're going to watch Fargo because she hadn't watched Fargo. And I was like, oh, you're going to love it.
1: (laughs) And then we put on season four. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, I'm just like, ah, come on. Season one is by far the best, like by a long shot. It's so great start to finish. All time great performance by Billy Bob Thornton and Martin Freeman. Both of them are the best in it. Yeah. I really, really love it. Yep. Sorry,
2: Leighton. I'm not sure if you've watched any of these, but it sounds like you haven't even gotten to the first season yet, which is great. You should totally watch it.
0: It means that I have content ahead of me. I mean, I can't even finish watching shows that I fucking love. Like was watching the boys pretty religiously fell off. Oh, the boys is great.
1: I know. I'm just rewatching it season one with Rachel, who has never seen it before right now. Oh, what's Rachel's take? She loves it. Loves it.
0: It's super enjoyable. I got to like halfway through season two and then I stopped catching them live and I was like, oh, I'll save them so I can watch them later. And they've been sitting in my to watch them later pile for however long they've had time is fake. (laughs) Uh, I shotgunned four seasons of The Sopranos, got to the season four premiere and then was like, I can't. Pay attention to things anymore. Mm. And so, what do I do instead? I sit and I stare at a wall, and it's very <laughs> intellectually stimulating and emotionally fulfilling.
1: What a wall. But
2: you're thinking, though, right? You're using your brain. That sounds like something.
0: As we said, worse, slower, weaker, duller. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm trying to get.
2: <laughs> gotcha.
0: I do have lots of wall staring options in my apartment. You know what? Does every wall have a woman with her titties out? I. Th- yes.
1: Wow. Are we talking about Brian's house or? No. My house. Oh, no. <laughs> I have a six-year-old. I'm not going to titify my my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, yeah. Uh, yeah, knowing my six-year-old, she would love it because she'd just walk around going, boobies, 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 <laughs> boobies, boobies, boobies. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: that's what I do all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For a second, I thought I was exaggerating, but I actually do not think I'm exaggerating. I think the one that does not have titties has a statue of titties and then a skull on the wall. So I think it counts.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say that counts. I was going to say before, tell me if I'm wrong about this. Uh, I feel like we have Jacksepticeye to thank for really blowing the term gamer up in the public consciousness. I noticed him using a lot, using it a lot before almost anyone else. I'm sure other people were, but I feel like he was using it publicly in a way other people hadn't. And then from there, it exploded. Do you feel like that's accurate? I was in so many marketing meetings with so many people for so
2: many years where they would talk <laughs> about what gamers liked <laughs> so that when I would see people use the term like publicly or as or sarcastically like Leighton was talking about. That's what I'm talking about. The way Leighton is talking about using it where you're like, what's up gamer? It's hard for me to tell now.
0: Like gamer as term of endearment.
2: Yeah, because like, I don't even want to hear the word anymore, but I'll say it sarcastically. Like <laughs> what's up gamers? But yeah, I, Jack was definitely one of the first people to start doing that. And I'm glad he has.
0: I guess Aaron and Dan have done it to a degree. I know Aaron says a lot.
2: Every time I see Aaron, he does that.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, he does it. Allie does it, of course. Like a lot of grumps people do it now.
0: Fucking Jory infected me. That was the turning point for me, as with most of my vocal patterns. Now I blame Jory.
1: Yeah. But I feel like Sean was an early pioneer. Uh, I could be wrong. Wow.
0: Gamer pioneer.
2: Yeah. He's the one we have to thank now for every YouTube video, starting with what's up, gamer.
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah. Rather than, Hey guys, that's true. what's up guys? <laughs> the worst.
0: Now, when I try to find like tutorial videos or like any other content on YouTube, I'm like, I'm going to sort by like nine years ago. I need an old man who does not know how to film this. Whose head is partially out of frame, just slowly explaining me in the worst way possible. Like I cannot consume the, Hey guys, today we're going to be talking about blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like
1: yes. that energy
0: I cannot match. <laughs> um, but I can match tired old man teaching me how to solder energy.
1: <laughs> Audrey has started watching hamster maze YouTube videos, which are a whole subgenre, which I didn't know about. Has either of you ever seen these?
0: No, I'm looking this up right now. Hamster?
1: Never. I mean, it's exactly what you would think. It's like, you know, haunted hayride, hamster, Halloween, or whatever.
0: What? What? This is awesome.
1: Yes, it's very cute. And at least in the ones she watches, there's a lot of, like, you know, very shitty After Effects fire and, you know, things put on after the footage is is done, just editing stuff. And it's clearly many, many, many takes trying to get this fucking hamster to go through the maze. And there's a lot of, like, air horns and sirens, for probably the least climactic thing you have ever seen, which is just a tiny little hamster walking through a like a maze with like a fucking devil skull or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm watching one of these right now.
1: <laughs> she really, really loves it. And I got to say, it's great kid stuff. Although one of the Halloween ones she watched was pretty graphic, which I did not expect when it came to hamster mazes. Like, What do you mean graphic? <laughs> well, it, by, by graphic, I mean a little intense. So a lot of like, you know, certain death this way. echoing realities of the world that I don't particularly want to have to explain to her at the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, you walk to the store and you have to walk past a bunch of spinning saws that are coming at you. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But I was not aware of this genre, and there's a lot of them out there.
0: The diegetic sound of the people shooting this, where it's just them like, fuck, fuck, turn around, (laughs) no.
1: Yes. (laughs) Oh, There's clearly a lot of it. There's a lot of, like, cuts uh, where... You're like, okay, that's not the same position that hamster was in mm-hmm. beforehand. I wonder how many of the hamsters die during shooting, which probably <laughs> non zero. I mean, generally, hamsters
2: just die.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, <that's laughs> true. I feel like I was around for the deaths of like several friend hamsters where it's just like, huh, well, I guess they're fucking dead. All right, shoebox time. Yep. I'm very glib about the death of a hamster. As we all know, the death of a hamster at any age, but especially as a child is like, too much.
1: I want to hear about pet death when you guys were children, because hey. I think it's something we're facing over here pretty soon, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, our dog is a little bit ill at the moment. And Oh, no. How long has the dog been around? We've had her for four-ish years, but she was a rescue, and so she's like 11-ish years old. So we got her as an old dog. Oh man, yeah, it's a bummer. She was just uh, diagnosed with an inoperable mouth tumor. And oh no, yeah, which is only going to get worse. There's like nothing we can really do about it. There is something we could do, but apparently it would cost like twenty grand. Which of course we cannot spend on a dog. And on yeah. It. Yeah, that makes sense. And also now she's having spinal problems. Like all this shit just happened in a week. So I think unfortunately, and we told Audrey, you know, the dog is sick, which is very apparent because she's not walking straight and not eating and stuff. So I think we have months left. And I've been thinking a lot about, I definitely went through a couple dog deaths when I was a kid, not a little, little kid, but you know, probably after eight or so. But I'm curious if if that's something you two grew up with at all and what you remember about it
0: I mean I had two real person deaths like very very young so I feel like everything after that was kind of like oh this is easy <laughs> mm-hmm. so maybe not the best advice on my end other than uh I don't know just be honest with her <laughs> like yes it's it's such a situation
1: we're definitely not doing the cocoa went to a farm thing yeah similar to Leighton, actually I had my
2: grandparents died very early on when I was a kid. So huh. it, goldfish or a cat or whatever, it didn't matter. And actually my parents were pretty, they were always really honest with me. A good example is Santa Claus.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I love telling this story because, and again, whatever you think of their parenting styles, I really actually really love them as parents, but they were always very honest and transparent with me, even if they knew it was going to make me sad. Mm-hmm my grandma used to keep trying to get me to believe in Santa Claus. So she would give me presents that said from Santa and it would say to Bruce. And I was like four or three or whatever. And I remember once I remember distinctly when well, I was like, definitely like Malcolm in the middle, like a comedy because I grabbed the present and it said from Santa on it. And I was old enough to go from Santa. And I looked up at my dad and my mom, both of them standing next to each other and they both, looked me right in the eye and just shook their head silently. (laughs) And then I looked back down at the present and I went, thanks grandma. (laughs) And I remember my grandma getting really upset because she was like, why don't you let him believe in Santa Claus? And they're like, because Santa's not
1: real and we don't want him to be devastated when they find out he's not real. This is a thing I've heard about other people suffering through this. I have no memory of this. Apparently the story my parents told me was that when I was two, I was like, is Santa real? And my mom, not wanting to lie to me, said, nope. And that was that. That was it. So, but I have heard multiple stories from friends uh, or on like podcasts and stuff of kids being traumatized by the fact that their parents had been lying to them for years for all of their lives about Santa. And I think it, it doesn't break that way all the time or even most of the time, but it's definitely a thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's also just like the risk versus reward of like, congratulations. You now believe that a, a man is going to home invade you to leave you gifts <laughs> and also eat your food and also is like watching you all the time. So good luck having that like mental hyper vigilance of like, oh, I better not do anything bad, otherwise Santa's not going to bring me a fucking Nintendo.
1: I hate that. <laughs> like, so with Audrey, we do do the Santa thing, but we absolutely do not tie it to behavior. Because, mm. fuck that. Like, that that just feels punitive and terrible. Like, yeah. you know, also, realistically, if she behaves badly, which is a logical possibility that happens very frequently, we're not going to, like, not give her Christmas presents? Come on. Why, why even threaten that yeah. with happening if you have no follow-through?
0: Well, it's like... You should only be better so you can get a reward, not you should be better. Yeah, for the sake of being better.
1: No, just to be good. Yeah, right. Exactly.
0: I guess that's the line: be good for goodness' sake. Then why are you doing a whole song about Santa's just fucking obsessed with children and watching children's behavior like <laughs> weird?
1: Same thing with the like the Elf on the Shelf and that bullshit. I uh, absolutely am not going to do these like surveillance state. <laughs> surveillance state Santa. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's an awesome song idea. <laughs> the Valentine's Day Santa. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: man. It's like, I guess we're coming up on the Christmas season.
1: Yes. I was in a store today in Petco, in fact, huh? buying senior dog food for our old sick dog. Uh, and they were playing Christmas music already. November 10th.
0: Awful. I'm going to go on record. I fucking hate Christmas. I'm not a holiday person. I've said this before. Oh my God. Sorry. I've just been watching this hamster maze in the background. and It's stressing <laughs> me out so fucking bad. <laughs> Oh, he got a treat. Okay. The thing fell on his foot and it was a big old close-up of the thing on his foot. No, it's going again. Okay. I'll stop watching it. Um,
1: (laughs) Turns out by the way, hamsters are not smart. No, they really aren't. Of course not. (laughs) So you hate Christmas.
0: I'm a big old Christmas hater, which I think like, you know, sometimes you look at a person after knowing them for like a little bit and you can probably guess like 50 things about them. I feel like you could probably suss out that I am a Christmas hater. I hate Christmas music. I never need to hear it again. The only Christmas song to me, literally just for irony purposes, is Last Christmas, which is the greatest Mm -hmm. song of all time. Um, Everything else, Die in a Fire. I don't want gifts. I like to give gifts. I would not like to receive gifts. I do not wish to be seen. (laughs) You know, I especially don't want to be perceived by a man who lives in the North Pole with reindeer. Like, I don't want him to look at me.
2: I don't think anybody really wants that.
0: No, exactly. We've created this beautiful seasonal fantasy. About a man watching you?
2: Nah, yeah, I don't think this anybody is, wants that.
0: That's ridiculous. It's like, what if Jesus had a funny hat? <laughs> I've really, really bad with the blasphemy lately.
2: We could just put a funny hat on a picture of Jesus and call it a day. We don't, we don't need to have a Santa
1: Claus and a Jesus.
0: Exactly. That's not blaspheming. That's just style.
1: I saw this picture of Jesus. He was wearing a really funny hat, which had thorns all over it. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> We might cut that out. No, that was a great joke. That was a great yeah, joke.
0: Right Are you going to go see the mall Jesus?
1: <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, yeah. oh sorry. It took me a second. Yeah. No, that's,
0: uh, yeah, go see mall <laughs> Jesus and you can <laughs> throw a stone at you.
1: There are churches that have like live nativity scenes and things like that, right? They must have.
2: Absolutely. I I grew up in those churches. And actually, it always turned into a disaster because it was like there would be like children around like, and the children, you know, they can't control themselves and they're always messing with their costumes and stuff like that was great. But just so you know, like I grew up in the church and I loved church. Actually, my parents, again, were were really great about that. So something funny happened at church. We were allowed to laugh at it. You know, like it was great. Yeah. So I have very, very good memories of my mom and I being in church, making fun of what church was, which was great. What denomination was it? It was just like generally non-denominational Christian. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't Catholic, but it would be like, you know, a random Baptist or a Lutheran or whatever. We weren't strictly down the line on anything.
1: But a chill
2: version of Christianity. Super chill. And again, like my dad was a pastor. So, oh, oh, I didn't really. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If things went wrong, my mom and I, we knew and we thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so Good. That's great. Yeah. So, and we, you know, we my parents didn't take things very seriously. There's a difference between religion and spirituality. So, yeah. And they taught me that very early on. So I, I had a great time at church. I really loved it because I didn't take it too serious. I
1: feel like that's the way it should be.
2: I got really lucky because a lot of people did not get that. <laughs> No.
1: So, yeah. I love that attitude towards religion. Like, believe it if you're going to believe it, but, like, have a sense of humor about it and yeah, yeah. and realize that not everybody is going to believe it either, and you got to be cool with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're not doing this this year, but in the past, we will often go to Minnesota to see Rachel's family for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Rachel's parents are very interesting. Well, her dad's been dead for many years now, but I'll talk about them in the plural because they're both like this. They are very, very... Devout Catholics who are very, very liberal. Yeah. Which I didn't realize was a thing because I never saw that growing up in Jersey. But it was like a Vatican II, late 60s, 70s kind of version of Catholicism where, you know, things got kind of chill for a little bit. Like Vatican II, if I remember correctly. Change the masses from Latin to English or whatever language people were speaking in wherever they were. Mm -hmm. And there was this like very kind of classic like hippie Christian thing from the 60s and 70s, which they were definitely, definitely a part of. Anyway, the point being that one of these Christmases when Audrey was, I don't know, three, four, something like that, she went to church with Rachel and her mom on Christmas Eve. I opted out. Uh, I feel like a hypocrite being in a church because (laughs) I am a... Very devout atheist. I have no problem with, with it, but I, I don't like to be there because I feel like it's disrespectful to the other people. That makes sense. And so anyway, Audrey, in case this isn't obvious, we have not raised her in any kind of religion. She just is. So she had not had a lot of experience in church. And so they do, you know, the first whatever, 10 minutes, and there's a song, there's a hymn, et cetera. And then they go to the next hymn about 10 or 15 minutes into the service, and they start singing about Jesus and Audrey very audibly in the back of the church goes, Jesus, again? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yes. Had not realized that that was kind of the point of the place. Uh, And apparently all these, you know, very kind Minnesota people just lost their shit at this (laughs) very cute little kid who was just like, what? Again? Jesus? Wow. You guys talk about him a lot.
0: Oh my God. (laughs)
1: I mean, they're right.
2: (laughs) Yes. She's not wrong.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: It can be a little
1: uh, hit you over the head sometimes. It's been so interesting marrying into a Catholic family. I knew nothing really about Catholicism. So my father was Jewish. uh, My mother was Episcopalian and I was taken to an Episcopalian church growing up. Judaism had like no real, from a religious point of view, no real presence in my life. Mm -hmm. So I knew the Episcopalian version of Christianity, which was very, very chill. And I had no relation to Catholicism at all. And it's been very interesting marrying into a Catholic family and just seeing all the ritual and all this stuff that is pretty foreign to me as, as an outsider. Yeah, yeah it's, it's
0: pretty metal.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. It's interesting too, because I haven't been to many Catholic churches, but I dated a girl who was a Catholic for a while and we would go to her church you know, every Sunday or so. And it was a really interesting switch from what I came from, which was even more chill. Because yeah. I mean, like, I think it's funny, you talk about how like how relaxed a Catholic church was. And I think our church even aimed to be more relaxed. Like, It was just more just kind of like, come and hang out with your friends. And, you know, like, if there's a lesson to be learned today, then great. Then you learned it. Oh, yeah. And then if you didn't, you didn't. And then you move on. And hopefully it's a good place that you'd like to be. Yes. That's, that's always that's the interesting thing about church is that. People, It's so weird how that got lost along the way where it's just this place that it should be a place that people want to come, not that they feel obligated to go or that they hate being there. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) That's exactly the opposite. Yeah. It defeats the purpose. (laughs) Yeah. It
0: defeats the purpose. So uh, it's it's so weird. I'm not giving input because uh, I have strong feelings and I have family who listen to this podcast and I... (laughs) wish that they would not, but that is the way that it is.
1: Uh, shout out. Uh, I will say that I think the chill Catholic church is probably in the strong minority of Catholic churches. And yeah, I don't really know, but I know there's a lot of like hardcore Catholic stuff going on. And I think it depends on where you are like geographically and your specific parish as well.
2: Yeah. Just recently, I just looked this up because I thought I had read this, but most recent Pope Uh, supports same-sex civil unions, which is great. I saw something about that, yeah. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I was like, yeah, I'm glad that that's progressing.
0: Yeah, it's like this should have been a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. At some point, please, I hope they let Catholic priests get married. It seems so counterproductive to not let priests get married, like in so many other forms of Christianity. It is such an interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah. Again, my dad was a pastor.
2: He was married. And so to me, that was completely off-the-wall crazy.
1: Yeah that you had to remain celibate and stuff like that. It's just just crazy. Totally. Here's a story about marrying into a Catholic family. So uh, I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast. When we got engaged, we were living in Boston. And we were going to get married in Rachel's, like she had one specific priest that she wanted to marry us. So we're going to get married in a Catholic church in St. Paul, Minnesota. And by this guy who was just like a total gem of a person, wonderful, chill, liberal guy, But because we're living in Boston, if you are going to get married in the Catholic church, you have to take what they call a pre-cana, which are like marriage classes. And we had to do it in Boston, which is apparently, makes sense in retrospect, although I hadn't known it at the time, is a very conservative Catholic city, despite being a pretty liberal city overall. Which, you know, when you think about Southie and the kind of Irish Boston type of person, makes sense that it might be a little more uh, conservative anyway we found a very liberal catholic place like what we were told was the only liberal catholic church in boston called the Paulus center which was right in boston common and we had to take marriage classes which have you heard of a pre-cana either of you this is total news to me never so what it is it's the kind of thing where i was like i can't believe we have to fucking do this oh my god it's like a full weekend where you go and they're like okay you want to get married in a catholic church here's the shit you got to talk about. Who handles the money? Like, how many kids do you want? Stuff like this, which once it started, I was like, this is the best thing I can imagine doing because it forces you to have a conversation with your partner to talk about some, honestly, some stuff you may not have talked about and just really get it out in the open. So for example, they're like, okay, talk right now about how many kids you want to have. Like, have that discussion now. And you go through this whole thing. A lot of them were like Cosmo style quizzes about marriage, and some of them were pretty stupid. But uh, generally speaking, some of them were really, really awesome. One thing alarmed me, which was they did this exercise. I've never done this before, where they asked the couples, these were all male female couples because this is a Catholic church in 2007. And so the man and the woman would stand back to back, facing away from each other, and you had a red card and a green card. And they would ask you a question, you would hold up green for yes, red for no, and then you would turn around and see each other's answers. Mm -hmm. And so they asked me and Rachel and everybody, do you want four or more children? And I turned around and saw a green card and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Oh my God. And afterwards I was like, four or more? And she was like, what are you talking about? I held up the red card. And I... (laughs) Nearly had a heart attack. (laughs) Wait, so what did you see? Well, either I was just wrong or she held up the other card. And I was like, we'll talk about this later. Did
0: she see the side of it that she was looking at, which was the red card?
1: Maybe. I don't know. It was very like, I was like, whoa, we're not on the same page about this. The best part about our pre-Cana was the guy who led it was uh, he introduced himself as one of the Catholic Church's resident sexperts. Cool. And his name, ready? His name was Father Dick Sparks. No. Yes, Dick Sparks. He wrote a column in some Catholic magazine about sex and marriage. (laughs) And he was this like short, portly, 60 something year old man. He was the sweetest guy. He was so, so nice. His office had all this like, he was really into Western stuff. He had like cowboy stuff all around. And at the end, once you get through this thing, he goes, okay, you know, here's the last thing where all these couples, probably 20 or 30 couples are, here's the time where you can ask me any question at all. And I will answer you as, you know, just honestly, whatever, off the record, doesn't matter. And so someone asks him a good question, which is, can you have non-liturgical music in your wedding in a church? And this old, you know, short little white guy goes, well... Yeah, I mean, you'd have to, you know, check with the priest. And for example, if the bride was really into hip hop and the groom was really into hip hop, I would think it would be okay to play some hip hop as long as it (laughs) didn't have any phrases like humping or I want to punch it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? I, I want to punch,
0: punch it to you with Dick Sparks.
1: Yes. That? I heard Father Dick Sparks, a very, very sweet man, say the phrase, I want to punch it to you. Is it? Oh, hold on. Is that a phrase in hip hop music? No, there's no way that's a phrase.
0: In
2: hip hop. Yeah. In hip hop. Right. The, I'm sorry. Yeah. In hip hop. Also, I think I've found Father Dick Sparks. Oh, I haven't looked this guy up in, we've been married 13 years.
1: So probably about 13 years. Yeah, I, I Googled him, and it looks like, yeah, he's just uh, giving talks around the nation. I love this guy. I don't want to belabor this too much. But he did something else that I thought was really, really awesome. So basically, this is the dude that has to like sign off on everything in order for you to get married. If he says thumbs down, you can't get married. Uh, maybe there's some appeals process, but I don't know. But at any rate, at the very end of the thing, you schedule a time to come back, and he meets with the couple together and individually. And one thing I thought was amazing was when he meets with you individually, both people, he said to me, as I'm sure he said to everybody, because I said to Rachel too, he goes, okay, now look, I need to give the okay to make this marriage go ahead. If there's any reason you don't want to get married that you can't tell your spouse, you tell me now. Or I don't even need a reason. You just say, I can't do this. I can't go through with this. And I will say no. And this is your out. Get out of jail free card. Like if you feel like you're being pressured into this, you tell me and I will say no. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, and I was like, how many people have been saved by this? Like, by this very sweet man who just, you know, let someone say, "Look, I, I, I don't want to marry this person. I am being forced into this situation. Please say no," and he would just be okay, and that's it. Hmm. I thought that was an incredible thing.
2: I, I want to say we're pretty lucky for having these <laughs> these experiences at church because, I, like I said, I know a lot of people have not had these experiences. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I will
0: not elaborate, but yeah. yeah. And
2: I, and la- I, and I heard Leighton go, yeah! And that was it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm very jealous of people who had positive experiences with it, because there are so many times where I'm like, damn, this would be helpful. But uh, yeah,
2: you know, I'm a heathen. I mean, I, I grew up with people at the same church that had different experiences than I did. Of course. And it was mainly because they were being brought up by people who were forcing them to go or forcing them to live a certain way or, you know, who knows, whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And I always felt terrible. I don't know how to address that sort of thing. Because um, it's like, that's between you and your parents or that's between you and your family or who knows. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you went to religious schools all through, like through high school?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the most part, I went to private schools that were like, again, like smaller private Christian schools. There was one on the Valley that I went to, but I kind of bounced around from a bunch. Of, my my parents were, by the way, were not rich. They were on the opposite end. They were poor but they wanted to make sure that they could put me in a good school. The one thing they ever did that I I'm still thanking them for now is they saved for my college education. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so when I got to college, I went to UCSB in Santa Barbara. When I got to college, I only went there for a couple of years. I did city college through the two to save money. But when I went to UCSB, they paid for it and I didn't have any college debt and I was so fucking lucky because of it. That is so great. Yeah. Wow. What a gift. Yeah, it was, it was a gift. So, Regardless, when I would go to these schools, I would come home and ask my parents because <laughs> like there was a, one specific example was I remember I was like six years old out on the playground and somebody threw a football really, really high and I was standing next to a kid and I said, oh my gosh, like that, just as a kid would do, right? Yeah. And uh, the kid next to me turned pointed at me and said, you said, oh my God, this is a big deal, taking, taking <laughs> right. the Lord's name in vain, right? Yes, yes. And so I was immediately escorted to the principal's office uh, <laughs> and they brought me there and they said, did you say that? I said, I said, no, I didn't say it. I didn't say that. I wasn't taught to say that. I don't, I don't say that. And uh, they're like, well, we'll call on your parents. So they call my parents, my parents pick me up and they're like, well, we're going to discipline them right away and like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I get in the car and my mom turns around and goes, did you say it? And I said, no. And she went, okay. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> That's all it took because my parents knew me. They they knew who I was. Would they have cared if you had? I mean, they wouldn't have cared. They wouldn't have been like, you know, you're grounded. or It wasn't anything like that. It was just more of, they probably would have been like, hey, you know, try not to do this. Because that is the thing. That is something the they teach you. Like, when you're growing up Christian, you're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. I totally get it. But again, my parents weren't going to like bend me over and slap me or like, you know, yeah, yeah. lock me in a room or anything. They would be like, hey, just try not to say it. But I didn't say it, <laughs> so it didn't matter. Again, so thankful because my parents believed me. They believed me outright. And they knew that the school was being ridiculous. And so, you know, I went back the next day and was the normal kid, just like I always was.
1: So yeah. That's great. Yeah, I got lucky. So I, I taught at a religious school. Uh, my year after college, I taught at a Episcopalian boarding school in Connecticut. Oh, wow. And... This is the Kent School in Kent, Connecticut, and it was a part of the school's life, but in a very, very mellow way. The kids went to chapel, and it was required, but I think most of the kids there, well, they definitely hated it, Uh, but I felt like it was not a typical religious boarding school. I don't know if that even means anything, but it was like, okay, well, there's the priest, and I think the headmaster was a, a priest too? Yeah, in fact, he was. Oh. I might have to cut this out, but I'm going to tell it real quick anyway. It's the best kind of
0: story for the show. Yeah,
2: it is. I can't wait. No, I'm really excited.
1: So apparently, Seth MacFarlane went to this school. Oh. And there are some pretty strong similarities between the headmaster of the school and one Peter Griffin. Whoa, Really? And I was at the school when Family Guy first aired. So this is 97, 98. I forget where exactly, but I was there. And there was a letter-writing campaign by something called, it was like Proud Sponsors USA that wrote, I believe it was Fox, uh, to protest Family Guy. And it, like it say, you know, we're, we're going to boycott whatever advertisers are on the show. And then it turned out that Proud Sponsors USA was a one person organization consisting of this headmaster. <laughs> <laughs> of, course, of course it was.
2: <laughs>
1: of course. All right. And oh,
0: that's so fucking good.
1: Everyone at the school was like, well, of course that's this guy, and that's, you know, Lois is that guy, and blah, blah, blah. So,
0: hmm. I want to believe.
1: Yeah, no, I, me too. Yeah.
0: One of my professors, like my favorite professor in college, went to uh, Rhode Island School of Design, which I guess Seth MacFarlane also went to. But like Fuzzy Door Productions or whatever, that's like the mm-hmm. company. Like it was, you know, their party house essentially that had a Fuzzy Door. And uh, my professor just told a story about get like the only experience he had with him was getting the shit kicked out of him uh, at the Fuzzy Door <laughs> house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've got a question for both of you guys, actually, because generally the content I create is pretty improvisational. It's very rarely narrative, but I know. I feel like both of you guys have kind of done that sort of narrative content before. Do you base characters that you write off of people you know in real life? Is that a thing that you do? Layton? I think this is more a question
1: for, for you.
0: Um, no. Yes and no. I don't know. I think more than anything, it's it's more writing characters from the perspective of like, my experience with a person, like mm-hmm. not a person themselves and like their mannerisms or whatever, but just like, oh, I had this either really positive experience or really specific negative experience or like
2: mm-hmm.
0: their traits in this way really fucked me up or were really positive. And so it's like in- integrating that rather than just like, I don't know, a visual Similarity, But I think on the same side of that, there's a lot of like writing a character, you know, whatever else. But I I think there's a thing where you unintentionally write people, you know, as characters. And then in hindsight, you're like, Oh, yeah, that's totally X person, or like somebody else points it out. Yeah, I don't
2: know. To me, that was the thing that I never really popped into my head. But then when I hear that kind of stuff, I'm like, is that something the creators do is just like wholesale rip off somebody they knew?
0: Oh, it's totally a thing for people. Like
1: Yeah, I think it definitely is. Yeah. I, I don't write enough stuff like that. I mean, most of what I do, you know, is like comedy stuff. And it's not really narrative, you know, it's all the musical stuff. So Right. For for what I do, it's almost not even relevant. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it was the same with me. Uh, there's been a couple of times that I've helped write narrative stuff, but it was very, very small or minor and, and i just never even got in that headspace to where I was like, Oh, you know what? I'll just Make this person my dad, <laughs> you know? Like, it's a- yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think more than anything else, it's like me identifying like really small facets of my personality or experiences, and then doing like, okay, here's a negative trait that I have. What if I pushed that up to like a thousand? Like, who is that person? Yes, mm-hmm. like in other directions too. Just because it's like, oh, I can know myself and my thought process more intimately than I would know, you know, even somebody who I know really well.
2: Right. It, just from in my experience, having to do. Uh, like improvisational comedy, whenever we would sit down and make a video, that's exactly what we would... Like I would just turn myself up. Yeah. You know, I would act stupid because I knew it would be funny. Or I would act, you know, angry because I knew it would be funny. But those are things I never really thought or felt. However, there is some freedom in getting to do it. For sure. Yeah. This is an interesting thing. I don't want to derail what we were talking about. but No, no. no. Impossible. An entire podcast is derailments. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about basically the way I would think about making these videos was I was like, oh, I'll just amp myself up a little bit. But people considered it me. They still thought it was me being there, sitting there recording a comedy video. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, dude, tell me about it. yeah
0: I I think we talk about the show a lot of like you lean into the character and then people only have the character to work off of and assume that you are said character. Uh, Yeah. You just kind of live with that specter of a cookie cutter that you unintentionally created and that everyone continually tries to shove you into.
2: It's so interesting, especially having moved over to Twitch streaming now, because now I do this like eight hours a day, seven days a week, basically. And I'm more myself than I ever have been. Yeah, well, you yeah. have to be to survive, pretty much. Yeah, you do. I mean, you, you you can't amp yourself up for eight hours. I mean, some people do. Some streamers do. And actually, I respect them for it. But for me, I'm just generally myself. So it is interesting to see people get that culture shock of, you know, like, well, wait a minute, I thought I thought you, you know... Really? You thought that Disney princesses were fat? And I'm like, what? No, that was a a joke I made like four
1: years ago. What are you talking about? And they didn't see it as a joke. (laughs) Like, what? No, we've talked about this on the show before, but I can't even count the number of times people have said, wow, you're actually pretty nice. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah.
0: This was my experience with you too. I was very afraid of you for like an extended period of time.
1: Yeah. And it's all based on what you see online, which it makes sense. Yep, But it's also a bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Those are friendliest people I know.
1: <laughs> Thank you. But it's hard when everything I do is deadpan. It's my signature comedic style. Uh, <laughs> which means I can't ever acknowledge doing any bits, which right. makes right. in the minds of most people, the bits not not bits. That makes sense. I want to talk about Santa Barbara just a little bit. Oh, please. Yeah. I lived there for, uh, for 10 years. Yeah. I lived there for much less. I lived there for half a year in 2001 I was there and I loved it I thought it was fucking great I rented rooms in from various people in Goleta but then I would spend a lot of time I would drive up from San Diego because I was working with people there so I spent probably net you know a year or more in Santa Barbara yeah but I thought it was such a fun little I mean I spent most of my time around the university but I just thought it was a great little town that had more stuff than you would expect for a town that size you know
2: It does not it doesn't. Leighton, have you ever been, first of all, to Santa Barbara?
0: No, I have not.
2: Okay, you got to go. Easy trip from LA. It's like an hour and a half with no traffic. Yeah. But don't go to Santa Barbara proper. No, very true. Go to Goleta. Why? Because Santa Barbara proper is cool. Like you can go and get drunk in downtown. Well, obviously when the bar is open. State Street. Go do State Street or whatever. But the actual, in
1: my opinion, the actual charm of the town exists in Goleta. Yes, actually near State Street. I think maybe my favorite bar... Way up there in the world is nearby, which is Elsie's. Do you ever go to Elsie's? Yeah, many times. Yeah, I love Elsie's. And the Mercury also, which is in Goleta. Describe the vibe of Elsie's. What type of bar is this? It is a wine and beer only bar with eclectic decor, low light, and like they had a Viking helmet in the window. I believe there's no sign, right?
2: No, there isn't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was just a reliably chill zone that is one of those places that has been cemented in my memory is like, Oh, I love that place. And the times I've been back to Santa Barbara, you know, which is, I lived there 20 years ago now. It's still there still going strong. I mean, I don't know if it is now, but I, yeah, I hope it survived. Yeah. And I think it was the, the same owners owned the mercury lounge, which was in Goleta closer to UCSB, which was a similar vibe, but had more graduate students.
2: Yeah. I feel like if I get the vibe of you guys, then you both would really like the Merc which is the Mercury Lounge. Yep. It feels kind of low rent when you first go in.
1: Yes. Kind of a mid-century vibe, little 60s kind of thing. Yeah. They serve popcorn. (laughs) You know, like it's like that kind of thing. Board games.
0: Okay. like
1: that. It's
2: cool. They got a fun little patio. I don't know, Brian, if you've been to the new place that that owner has opened up. I believe it's the same owner called the Imperial Lounge. No, I have not. That is also in Goleta. Mm. This is just notes for people who are listening. Just go to these places if you end up going to around Santa Barbara because they're just super nice local bars that are only going to have a few people in them and it'll be a good crowd. And it's kind of actually going all the way back to when we first started the podcast. I think this may even not be on the recording, but we were talking about Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, there are a few bars that exist like that here in Los Angeles that I've tried to find that mirror the Mercury lounge or Elsie's or the Imperial lounge. And so like, that's always my template are those places in Goleta.
0: Yeah, how successful have you been on that search?
2: Yeah, I have found one. It's funny, I hesitate to give it away, but I will. It's called the Cozy Inn. Um, Mm. And it's uh, over kind of in a West LA territory. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Cozy Inn at all. Have you? No. Oh, this looks fucking sick. Cozy Inn's great. I tell you what, this is no joke, by the way. I want to say every single day, the pandemic continues, and we are still locked down. No joke. Every day, I think about the Cozy Inn <laughs> and I go, man, what I wouldn't give to go in there and get fucking wasted. That's <laughs> you know, like, been on my mind for as long as we've been in lockdown. So I really hope that Cozy Inn survives the pandemic and I'll do whatever I can <laughs> to keep that place open.
1: There's one place that I've been that has sort of the same vibe. It doesn't have a patio, but it's the Tonga Hut on Victory Boulevard. I've, I've heard of it. Is it Valley Village, maybe? I can't remember exactly what neighborhood it's in. I mean, it's it's like tiki drinks. Yeah. Very small. Have you been laden?
0: Yeah, yeah. I went, it was like after one of Brent's parties or something with Peter and Vernon. But yeah, that place is awesome.
1: It's so great. And when it's crowded, it sucks. But if you go on a weeknight where there's only a few people there and you can get a booth, it is the best vibe. Yeah, I really, really love it.
2: I've just been pining for anything like that cuz drinking at home feels like i'm an alcoholic.
0: So <laughs> i'm such a like genuine agoraphobe like when i first moved here like 3 years ago like i just didn't leave my place for 6 months cuz i was like oh if i step outside i'm going to get hit by a car. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And so it's been like the slow domestication of Leighton of me being like, okay, fine, I'll go to a bar. And <laughs> I had really gotten into the groove of like, okay, I'm going outside. I'm seeing people. I'm existing in public. And then of course, COVID. But yeah, there are a couple of bars in my neighborhood where I'm just like, oh, fuck, why didn't I go? Why didn't I go? Yeah. I just want to go back in time and slap myself in the face.
1: Why don't we go onto segments? I guess all right, so Bruce, the first segment we're going to do is uh, it's our pop culture mm-hmm. recommendation uh, segment, and the segment is fine as it is. It, it, it's part of the show, and you know whatever. It, it just kind of <laughs> kind of is there. But yeah. the real joy of this segment is its theme song. Oh, oh yeah. So like, you think oh, but when you hear it, oh, why like, <laughs> it, it's. It's it's the total package. Okay. It's got everything you would want from a theme song. It's the right length. It's the right volume. It's got the words, the name of the segment, and it's got everything. You're hyping it up like real big, so I I can't wait to hear it. It's amazing. I mean, you're going to be blown away when you hear it. Do you want to hear it right now? I want to hear it right now. All right, here it is. Go. What's poppin'? it's popping. It.
2: All right. I mean, fuck, right? I got to say, you hyped it up too much. Oh, God. <laughs> it, you didn't love it? You hyped it up too much, Brian. It was like, we're, we're talking about like Tenant. Like you hyped up Tenant. I was so excited <laughs> to see Tenant. I went and saw Tenant, and I
1: was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, you know, you're allowed to not like it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like it. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. It's good. It just wasn't
2: the be-all end-all of, of theme songs.
1: Yeah. And see, Layton, that is how you fucking play along with a bit right there. Did you hear that? <laughs> I heard the hesitation
0: and I got excited. You let that one hang way longer than usual.
1: That was a real long.
0: I have mild respect for you, but instantly erased by the rest of it.
1: <laughs> so Bruce, this is a recurring <laughs> point of tension between me and Layton on the podcast. Many guests will just say, I didn't hear it. Or should there have been something there? Oh, really? They won't go along with a bit? Some people are stupid. What can I say?
0: <laughs> people have, you know, lack of patience for bullshit, but, you know, it's fine.
1: And other guests who are people of character such as yourself roll with the bit <laughs> and make me very happy. <laughs> anyway, Layton, what's popping?
0: No, fuck you. You always throw to me is this like conciliatory thing. I'm not going first. Bruce. Do
1: <laughs> you want me to go first? I'll
2: go first. Yeah, I- what's popping? So I already talked about Halt and Catch Fire, but I think that's like a uh, kind of old I was also going to talk about The Leftovers. I don't know if you guys have seen The Leftovers.
1: No, I I have not. I've been meaning to.
2: Yeah, three seasons on HBO. It's fantastic. It's fucking crazy. It's the television series that Damon Lindelof made before Watchmen. And it's terrific. And I was trying to think of something new that I just recently plowed through. And you guys are going to laugh at me. You're going to laugh at me. Do it. But I tell you what. Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime Video. (laughs) Really? Is fucking awesome. Like, did you guys ever watch Twenty Four? Did you ever watch Twenty Four with like
1: Kiefer Sutherland? Oh yeah, Jack Power? I plowed through all of Twenty Four in two thousand ten. I was <gasps> like, Twenty Four. So I had good. nothing better to do. I was living apart from Rachel at the time because uh, I had a job in Ann Arbor and she was in New York, and I had a lot of time as a single person, and I watched all of Twenty Four in that period. Twenty Four is like the most American show.
2: You could ever watch. And that's what Jack Ryan is. John Krasinski's out there busting heads, kicking ass. He's incorruptible. And I fucking love it.
1: (laughs) And he's good. Is he a good actor?
2: Oh, no, he's great. Yeah, he's great. Uh, Him and uh, Wendell Pierce. Oh, I love him. Wendell Pierce is a fantastic actor. I've seen him in a hundred different things. Yes. But he is uh, Jack Ryan's like cohort. And he's terrific, too. But honestly, everybody in that show is great. And it's got a really good production value because it's Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. I, again, hmm. this is total like throwaway tell Like you can watch an hour of it and be like, well, I don't know what happened, but man, oh man, fucking we got the terrorists. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> that's, awesome. that's that's why I like it because it was just kind of like fun, nice stuff I could just watch before I go to bed or something. Yeah.
1: Great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Layden, what's popping?
0: What's popping for me is... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i been listening to a lot of 70s porno soundtracks Hell yeah Uh-huh. I just want some of that you know slap bass and
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh some pam flutes and you get a little organ in there just been listening to the deep throat anthology parts one and two just and then let that ride with the radio it's just delightful and then i just really <laughs> pray that i'm not playing it loud enough for my neighbors to hear loud 70s porn music and make any presumptions about my activities here, which actually, you know, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. You know, just LA neighbors, it's like, okay, we're going to accept each other's idiosyncrasies here. I'm not sure what you think of me or what your perception of me is. I am a little rat woman, and I know you hear me cackling on my balcony and saying horrible things in the middle of the night. So, you know, <laughs> okay, we don't bother each other. Eventually, I'll stop blasting the 70s porno music. But yeah, that's my what's popping, And then I have like an anti what's popping.
1: Well, actually, before you move on, I do want to say something relevant to that. Please. Which is, uh, do you know Vampiros Lesbos Sexadelic Dance Party?
0: Well, I know Vampiros Lesbos, but I don't know the sexadelic dance party part. I started watching that movie a while ago, and then I just never...
1: So the soundtrack was released under the name Vampiros Lesbos Sexadelic Dance Party. Yo. And it is fan-fucking-tastic. So I highly recommend uh, that particular 70s porn soundtrack.
0: Oh, I'm throwing this on, right? It's not
1: really there. porn. It's like softcore.
0: Oh, no, totally. I mean, I watched like the first 20 minutes of it, and it's like, oh, yep, there's tits. There they are. Yeah. There's the vampire tits. <laughs> but, but my like anti-what's-poppin' is uh, my friends and I have been watching really bad like internet-themed horror movies, like sort of like Unfriended-esque, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, worse. And we watched this movie called Fear.com. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. Fear.com is a fucking classic. It's terrible.
0: Dude, it's awful. I really appreciate that every single time there was an opportunity for the filmmakers to show us somebody's nipples, they did. Hell yeah. Like, I almost wanted to go back through and, like, count because every time we were like, okay, we're about to get a nipple shot. We're about to get a nipple shot. And, like, every fucking time. And then we'd be like, oh, and here's another one. And here's another one. Like, I want the final (laughs) count on fear.com. Also, it's very funny to me because within the movie the website that you're not supposed to go to is not fear.com. It's (laughs) fear.com.com.
1: Is it really? I didn't know that. Holy shit. I did not realize that the website was fear.com.com. That's fucking great.
0: We're looking up that like fear.com.com is, yeah, hold on. I'm going to link you guys to fear.com.com.
1: If we click on it, do we go to hell? I don't know. I guess you're going to have to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) What the fuck? I am cursed. There it is. We are all literally
0: cursed now. Listeners, go check out fear.com.com.
2: Oh, I made this website on Geocities.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Way back in 1996. That perfect tile. Yeah, those animated GIFs. Fabulous. Anyway, so that's fear.com.com. So if you want something good, 70s porno soundtrack, if you want something very, very bad that you want to laugh at, fear.com. That's what's popping. Cool. Brian.
1: Yes. Say it like you mean it. Brian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's
0: poppin'?
1: There we go. Uh what's popping for me is it's two albums in fact from the early 90s by one of my favorite sax players Maceo Parker. Uh he played with James Brown for a very long time. He was like the signature sax player in the James Brown band at its peak. So he has an amazing, you know, career he played with uh James Brown, Parliament Funkadelic, like all these classic funk and soul artists and he released a bunch of albums as uh as a band leader himself and he's these two albums from 90 and 91 called roots revisited and mo roots and they are just like warm butter all over your body when you listen to it the playing is incredible <laughs> it's a lot of covers he does some ray charles stuff he does some Otis Redding stuff. He does "Let's Get It On," for example. Sorry, that's Marvin Gaye, not Otis Redding. I don't know why I said Otis Redding.
0: We so were doing the crossword puzzle about Otis Redding earlier this morning.
1: Yes, that's probably what I was thinking. These albums are just everything about him is is wonderful. There's a song on Mo Roots called "Chicken," which I think might be a Jaco Pastorius song originally, and it just everything about it is is great. I, I really, really recommend it. So uh, Roots Revisited and Mo Roots. If you like jazz. It's more like soul jazz. It's, it's not quite straight-ahead jazz. There's a lot of really great horn arranging, and it, every time I listen to it, I just love it. He also does a really great version on Roots Revisited of Over the Rainbow, which is a song that is so played out at this point, you're like, how could anyone do a good version of that anymore? But it's just wonderful. So, two Maceo albums from the early 90s.
0: Shall we final segment?
1: Yes. You want to introduce it, please.
0: You know what, Brian? It's a very exciting day for our final segment.
1: Oh, yes. You're right.
0: So, last week, I believe we made a very special late night promise. And as you all know, we always follow through on a late night promise. Don't fact check
1: me. When we remember them.
0: When we remember them. So this final segment is Peaches and Lemons, which is a gratitude exercise that I stole from my extended family. Where we each named three things that we're like grateful for, excited about, nice thing that happened, blah, blah, blah. But you know, it's called Peaches and Lemons. And when we started this show in January, things were quote unquote normal. And so we would do the lemon, which is like a petty grievance, just like a, a petty, like shitty little thing that you acknowledge. Then you talk about the good stuff and then COVID. And so pretty much for the majority of this show, and we're almost 40 episodes in, which is really fucked up to me. Yeah if not over that, counting minisodes and stuff. Like, we maybe did lemons for mm, four
1: five of them five yeah.
0: episodes. Anyway, so last week we made the promise that if Biden won...
1: We would leave this country. Oh. oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start doing lemons again, which I'm excited about because I love to complain. Okay. All right. Well,
1: why don't you kick it off then?
0: I would absolutely love to. I slammed on my desk... Life handed me a, a perfect, petty little pearl of a lemon today. Do it. I went to Starbucks to get a pumpkin spice latte uh, because I'm a basic bitch. <laughs> and that is what I do. I didn't
2: realize it would be so good. All right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you. You know, I went, uh, got to my little window. I bring maybe with me. So she sits there on my lap and all that shit. And there were like three other cars in front of me with dogs in them. And I was like, wow, I feel seen. Anyway, they handed me this like white thing and I politely took it. And I was like, I don't think I ordered this, which is always like, I'd never want to tell them that this is not what I ordered. But I was like, this is suspicious. But they were like, okay, well, yeah, we'll get you your thing, but you're already holding it so you can take it. And I looked at it and it was a little tall. Uh, so the tiniest size iced latte with coconut milk. What? Oh. And so I was like, well, they gave it to me I might as well give it a try. I cannot believe how fucking disgusting it was. I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm going to love this. Maybe I will become like the nut milk convert that every LA person ends up. Becoming.
1: The nut milk queen.
0: <laughs> yeah. I prefer you call me the nut milk czar.
1: Okay, sure.
0: You know, I, I have so many friends who are or were baristas who are like, stop asking me to make you a coconut milk latte. That's not how making a latte works. But I can't stress how fucking disgusting it was. And it had one of those like aftertastes where it was like evolving. Like that aftertaste had stages to it where I was like halfway home. And I was like, oh my (laughs) God, I was still like developing in my fucking mouth. Um, So yeah, that's my lemon for today. Uh, Why the fuck would you pay money to buy that? And put it in your (laughs) box.
1: Oh, it feels good to have those back.
0: Yeah, right. I love to bitch.
1: (sighs) It is really great.
0: Yeah. So we haven't really thought about how to structure these because we each get one lemon. We should do the lemons as a batch and then do peaches because then otherwise it's like bitch, bitch, bitch. And then here's nice things. And then, you know, like it feels like a a gear shift. So let's try it. Maybe it won't work. Who knows? We'll try it again next week. So one of you, toss a lemon on the pile.
1: Bruce, do you have anything? So
2: in these times, I have literally nothing to complain about. Little things get me here and there, but... You know, I'm lucky I have a roof over my head. I get to work. <laughs> I'm making money. All those are the things. I want to make sure that I get all those qualifiers out of the way because I'm eternally grateful for them. and think about them all the time. However, <laughs> uh, I go to El Pollo Loco a lot.
1: You guys ever been to El Pollo Loco? You know what? I have not. But I've had a tweet I've been meaning to write for a <laughs> long time about it, which goes like this. Uh-huh. Look, I'd like to try El Pollo Loco, but that place just sounds nuts. <sighs> it's terrible.
0: Thank God, you didn't tweet that.
1: I'm
2: really glad you haven't.
1: Five years, at least, with that bouncing through my brain. And I'm not going to.
2: Yeah, you've already put it out now, so you can't tweet it. Either way, um, uh. I grew up with El Pollo Loco because I grew up here in LA. And it's, it was one of those places, again, that were like, it started here back in like 1990. And I fucking love it. Um, El Pollo Loco is fast food, but it's also healthy. You can actually just get grilled chicken there, mm. um, rice, beans, salsa, the whole deal. And it's not bad for you. And it's good. It's good. I mean, like, it's it's passable, right? It's passable. Yeah, sure. And I eat there all the time because I love Mexican food. So once I pull a loco and I get a bowl, which is just rice, beans, chicken, avocado, sour cream, corn, and it's all just mashed up. It's basically a slop that I eat every day that <laughs> powers my body and I love it, but it needs the sour cream. It needs the sour cream in order to get to, to give it the moisture. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it's very dry. It's pretty dry when you get it. It's not like we're not talking the best chicken in the world. And no joke, the two times in a row that I went to El Pollo Locos, so we're talking like two, maybe a day separating the two times I went. Both times, I got that bowl. Neither time had sour cream. Brutal. Fuck. Neither time. And I was so upset. Absolutely brutal. So I, I went looking around. No joke. I went looking around in my house because I was like, maybe we got sour cream here. <laughs> Just anything. My fiance had uh, Greek yogurt. Yep. And she was like, oh, you could use this as a substitute for sour cream. She's right. You can. You can. Absolutely. Fine. It tastes terrible. And uh, I was like, all right. Yeah, fuck it. I'll do it. So I put it in the bowl. And like I had one bite of it. And I put my slam my fork down. And I said, I can't eat this. <laughs> fucking, I can't eat it. So I didn't eat dinner. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Fuck. It's one of those things where like because of COVID and all the other things going on in the world. Just one little thing is going to make me be like, you know what? Never mind. Fuck it. <laughs> like, I'm not doing it. And again, people at will put a look work fucking hard. They're there all the time. I know them. They know me. It's one of those things where I feel bad complaining about it because it's not their fault. I'm sure they're just hustling through. They've got a lot on their minds. No doubt. They got a lot on their minds. They got a lot of food to put out, but it sucks. <laughs> it sucks.
0: <laughs> so this is the interesting thing about segueing back into lemons again, where it's like, I think by virtue of doing the lemon first, you're following it up with the peaches, which are all the positive things that you're grateful for. So I think we need to delineate that this is a safe space to be as petty as possible, and it's not a problem. And we all are on the level of like, yes, this is the bit. We're doing the petty thing. You know, obviously, we are grateful for everything.
1: Yes, and we have a lot to be thankful for.
0: To listeners right now, just like, we're setting the tone here. Yeah. Yep. Chill bitch sesh. So, Brian
1: lemon. Well, I'm going to be real petty for a minute. So as uh, many 45-year-old men do, I mail-ordered a fancy liverwurst. <laughs> and I was very excited about it. I had a coupon for some money off at Zingerman's, which is a fantastic food delivery service uh, that I found out about when I lived in Ann Arbor, because that's where they're located. It's like a deli, but they also have a like gourmet food delivery thing. Like We've ordered a bunch during quarantine. Their stuff's so good. So because we spent some money there during COVID, they sent us a nice little gift card, and I spent it on mostly liverwurst. And this is, by the way, the same liverwurst I ordered a few years back while I was on the road, and they sent it to my house, and Rachel did not open the package, and it went bad. <sighs> oh. I know. So I've been lusting after this liverwurst for years. Mm -hmm. And then I get it. And Rachel now uses it to feed pills to our sick dog. (laughs) (laughs) And look, I love the dog. I have a lot of sympathy for her plight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do not fucking use My liverwurst.
0: Your fancy liverwurst.
1: My fancy liverwurst, which is so good. Oh my God. Guys, I had it on, I toasted some sourdough bread. I put hot mustard on it with liverwurst and raw onion. And it was like the, it's like old Jew type food, which I fully get, but it was the greatest thing I've eaten in years. It sounds great. Rachel could not, due to the stench, could not be in the same room as me because it really it's really pungent on the on the mouth afterwards.
0: Well, that way she gets to put it through the sick dog and then enjoy the dog's extremely pungent farts later.
1: Yeah. Yes. Oh. But I just wanted to be like, don't give my liver worse to that dog. Like, <laughs> it's mine. And you made it go bad a couple of years back. So uh, that's my lemon.
0: Wow. Hey, we did lemons. We just successfully did lemons.
1: We did. Oh, that was a good bit chest. Yay. Let's go in reverse order for peaches. First peach is, I got a little fire pit for our backyard. Mm. Now that it's quote unquote cold here in LA. And it was like properly cold. It was. It was like 45. Yeah. Yes. It was so great. We can sit in the back and sit around a little fire pit. It's like a little portable thing. We didn't dig it or whatever, but that's great. And now I get to expose the six-year-old to another danger, which is always (laughs) welcome
0: The s'mores entered the chat?
1: Yeah. We've talked about them. Because it's a propane thing, I'm a little reluctant to drip marshmallow crap all over it, but s'mores have been asked about, believe me. So I think they'll happen pretty soon.
0: That sounds great.
1: But yes. Peach 2 is that Audrey's school brought them back to school, the first graders back to school this week. Oh, wow. That's great. In a very safe, she goes to a little private school so they have space, they can do well-ventilated It's something Rachel and I thought long and hard about, but based on advice from friends who are much smarter than I, we decided to go for it. They're being as safe as they could be about it. It's certainly not a zero-risk situation, but what the fuck is. But she is so happy to be back. It's like a couple days a week, a few hours a day, and just seeing her friends again has been amazing. So I want to be very clear. I'm not advocating that people like go hang out (laughs) and be (laughs) reckless, okay? This is... A first grader who is going back to school in a very controlled setting. So please do not take this as an endorsement of COVID's over, uh, which it (laughs) definitely is not because it's worse than fucking ever. But it's hopefully the school stays safe. Hopefully there are no COVID cases. And I I think it's a risk worth taking. But she's very excited about it. My final peach, and I'll try to tell this story as quickly as I can, is I rediscovered my we. Like, we bought it when the Wii's came out in 2007-ish, 8, something like that. And since then have moved to England and then back to the U.S., to California. We carried this fucking thing around for years. I kept meaning to sell it or get rid of it or whatever. Never did. Audrey and I uh, finished playing Super Mario Galaxy. So, got all the way through it. And I was like, man, I really want to play Galaxy 2, but can't do it on the Switch. So, and I was like, wait a minute, we still have that Wii. So I found it, I hooked it up. I had to get an HDMI adapter, but we did it. And earlier this week, I was like, you know what? I know I have the Wii. Let me just buy Super Mario Galaxy 2. And I was like, you know what? No, let me make sure the fucking thing works, first of all, before I buy a game for it. So I go to hook it up. I set it up, get everything ready to work. Uh, go to put Wii Sports in, <laughs> and I noticed there's a disc stuck in the drive. What game was stuck in that drive? I ask you. Man, what was the last thing you would have played on your Wii? It was Super Mario Galaxy 2.
2: <laughs> oh, I was, okay,
1: wow. Which was the only Dude, game awesome. that we still had for it. Like, we got rid of all the other ones. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I don't ever remember owning that game, by the way. I remember Galaxy 1, but not Galaxy 2. And we just had it. Oh, my God. It was one of those things where if I believed in cosmic coincidences or whatever, I'd be like, the universe is telling me something. But of course, the universe is a dark void that tells us nothing. <laughs> sounded to me like you had a little faith there for a yeah, second. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I got past it pretty <laughs> Okay, all
2: right. Bruce. Yes, well, uh, the small ones is Autumn and I, uh, my fiance, we, we would try to do a date night every night. And then obviously COVID hit and we haven't been able to do that for a while. So we've been trying to sort of get back into that that flow of at least going somewhere and eating outside Mm -hmm. and as basic as we are just like Layton, we love the cheesecake factory. (laughs) So so we went to the cheesecake factory on Monday and it was freezing cold for Los Angeles again. Yes. So we both had like put on a bunch of jackets and all the stuff. and was like, Oh man, it's going to be cold. And we sat down and the cheesecake factory had put out these heaters. No joke. I was hot within three minutes. Of sitting in front of that heater. And I was like, I could be here all fucking night. I could sit outside and eat here all. And both like her and I were like disrobing and like moving (laughs) chairs and shit. It's so hot out there. And I was like, man, thank God for the Cheesecake Factory for getting these heaters out and making sure that we wanted to come and eat there and like actually have a normal, proper date night. Yeah.
0: So what's your go to cheesecake there? Oh
2: my gosh. So I've had almost every cheesecake there. Wow. Bruce. Kudos. Yeah, i wanted to go through all of them. And I've been going to the Cheesecake Factory, again, for years and years and years. Like, just because there's always been one here in LA, et cetera, et cetera. So my favorite there is either, I think it's the strawberry, just plain strawberry cheesecake. Mm. Wow. There's also a key lime cheesecake there that's fucking awesome.
0: The key lime one is really good.
2: Oh, it's so good. That's peach number one for me is that it was actually really warm there. And I mean, again, I'm incredibly blessed to be able to go to the Cheesecake Factory and like, fuck it. It was just, just terrific. Of course. Yeah. Number two is over the last year since COVID has put everybody in their house, I have been the most blessed in terms of, cause I made a big jump to go work on Twitch, mm-hmm. which I wasn't doing before. I was working at companies with like, you know, paychecks and I was like, well, I'll go work for myself and then hopefully it'll work. Well, this year I have been blessed with the best fans and the best supporters in the world. And I know it's, this sounds like bullshit because it's something that everybody says, but it's no joke. Like, The people that have been watching on Twitch and like supporting and all that are just fucking awesome. (laughs) Like that's great. I cannot, yeah, I can't be happy or thankful enough to them. So that's something I think about every single day.
1: There, there's nothing better than a really awesome fan community. Which uh, there is this podcast is blessed to have as well. I can't believe I just used the word blessed, but uh, it is it is true. (laughs) Uh, A wonderful, supportive, non-assholey fan community is is an incredible gift.
0: Yeah, yeah, and especially like watching y'all be good to each other, like really, really does the heart good. People making friends, it's just like hell yeah, love it, love it, dude,
2: it's awesome. So that's sort of like an overall peach, I think, for the year. And then my fiance and I were, we're supposed to get married on Halloween. Oh wow, that uh, this year we did not because of COVID. So we just set uh, another date, which is I think peach number three. Uh, it should be it should be next March. Yes.
0: Oh gosh, congratulations! Thank
2: you. It'll be a much smaller wedding. Everybody will obviously be very safe there. It'll be outside, the whole deal. But we're excited because we, uh, we kind of got our hopes dashed early on this because we had done just like everybody else started planning for the year in January and February, and we we, we <laughs> gave a deposit to a venue and did the whole deal, and then COVID hit. So <laughs> so. Uh, but now you're back. But now we're back. It'll be a different wedding, but it'll be it'll be a wedding nonetheless, and we'll be. I think we're both kind of getting a little tentatively excited for it. So. Can you say, is it in Los Angeles or somewhere else? It'll be in Phoenix. It'll be in Arizona. Yeah. Which is originally where it was supposed to be anyways. Nice. Yeah. We didn't want to kill our family members to have them come to our wedding. No. Yeah. So, no, of course. You know.
1: Phoenix is great. I, I forged a bunch of ballots for Biden this week there. It was. Oh, thanks, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, you. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, was, you know, it just kind of <laughs> drove him. It wasn't a big deal. It was just like fourteen, fifteen thousand, uh, 15,000 and then dropped him off. Work For uh, antifa this week yeah oh yeah well you know they pay me
0: as the real organization does
1: (laughs) yes that's right i I just go to the president of antifa and (laughs) i say to them give me that sweet green and they pay me money from their deep deep pockets and i go change the world
0: Wait, I'm sorry. I go and I ask for sweet green and they give me weed. I could have been getting money this entire time.
1: Look, I mean, I guess we all have our own relationship with the Antifa bosses. The
0: I'm going to call my Antifa union rep. What
1: the fuck? Twist is I'm the Antifa boss. Yeah. sorry, Link. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I just, I just log on to antifa.com and then I put in all my info and they give me my quest.
0: You can accept accept side quests. Holy shit.
1: Is is Antifa.com a thing?
0: I need you to go to Antifa.com.
2: Hold on. Oh, no. Do I want this in my fucking internet history?
0: No, do it, do it, do it.
2: Oh, my. It's Joe Biden. It redirects to Joe Biden. That rules.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, Wow. Wow. Really great. I never would have guessed. (laughs) That's very funny, actually. Good on them.
0: Their, like, online team or whatever is, like, pretty on it, which feels rare for Democrats, as AOC was very rightfully pointing out this week.
1: Yeah. I remember like two weeks before the election, though, they were like, or maybe less than a month or something, they were like, we're going to start running YouTube ads. And it was like, oh, guys, like, anyway, whatever. I'm not going to complain about this. Uh, Layton, give us some sweet peaches.
0: Peach number one is very similar in that it is L.A. cold now. There's a little nip in the air, which means I get to wear my fun sweaters because I love to Mm -hmm. wear a sweater that is three sizes too large for me and thus feel like I am wearing a Snuggie or a blanket at all times in public, (laughs) and it's acceptable. Um, But more importantly, it means that maybe a chihuahua who gets cold has to wear her little jacket when we go out.
1: Oh And
0: it's a cute little jacket, and it's too big for her, and she hates it, and she waddles around looking stylish.
1: What a stupid bitch.
0: <laughs> 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 it's true. It is true. Um, she's currently wearing that little jacket right now because it's fucking cold in my apartment. Oh I know. I'll, I'll put pictures of it on uh, the thing. It's a little plaid number. It's very stylish. My second peach is after we did the Witching Hour uh, thing where I did a VJ set for that I wrote music for, a bunch of people were like, hey, I want to listen to your music. Where do I find that? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And so I'm working on like an LP uh, that I have like 12 tracks for right now that are in various states of completion. And uh, I've been like learning a lot more about like Ableton Uh, Just in time for uh, Ableton Live 11 to come out and me to learn a whole bunch of new shit, which I'm very excited about. But yeah, it's been fun learning a new creative thing. And I'm really happy with how things are coming along. Because, like, I guess with art and with writing, you do a thing and you're like, is this good? I hate, is this good? I don't know if this is good, but at least with music, it's like sort of a more intuitive, like, okay, this sounds fucked up, or oh, that sounds good. And I would listen to it. So yeah, that's peach number two. Pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Hoping to have that done by like end of the month, God willing. Who knows? Um, And then peach number three is last night I was hanging out on a Discord call with friends while I was making my music and a friend was editing a thing they were doing and Allie was uh, streaming her playing some Animal Crossing and doing some drawings. And I just got to sit there and hang out with my friends and watch Allie draw, which is a treat because she is a very talented lady. Um, So yeah, it was just a very chill evening.
1: I love it. Well, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Bruce, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking all this time to be with us tonight.
2: Oh, are you kidding me? This is fucking great. Thanks for uh, doing this at night because I guess you guys don't normally do
1: it at night. So I prefer it, to be honest. It's nice to just have the rest of the day done so we can just like hang out and do this and have fun with this rather than worry about the other stuff. Yeah. I'm happy to come back anytime you guys will have. I oh, would love that. Yeah,
0: this was an absolute delight. It's nice to, this is always the thing that you say in emails, like nice to E-meet you, but you know.
1: <laughs> you, wait, E-meet? I thought it was m meet <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Yep. Uh, that's, that's where we all are. All right. Is that the end of the podcast or? Uh, It almost is. Uh, Where can people find you? Bruce?
2: (laughs) Anywhere with my name. So Bruce Green, uh, E at the end of Bruce, E at the end of Green uh, on Twitch, on Instagram, on YouTube, on whatever else you got. Just my name. Sweet.
0: Any projects or things in particular that you want to point people to?
2: Well, I stream on Twitch every single day and that is sort of my bread and butter. And I uh, love doing it. Like it's one of those things where I'm like kind of pitching a bunch of large projects that I'm, people are always like, how come you don't do anything other than stream on Twitch? I'm like, fuck, I'm trying, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So so yeah, so right now, unfortunately, I have nothing to like, something big to push you, but I'm still doing
1: Twitch and I love it. Sweet. Wonderful.
0: Well, everyone out there listening here tonight, morning, day, whenever, hope you're well and staying safe, staying warm, uh, being careful. And I always run out of clever things to say at the end. So this is the end of the podcast. Goodbye.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Layton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Layton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Layton Night, on Instagram at Layton underscore night, or email us at LaytonNight at gmail.com.